Hello again. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good morning, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. And joining us is Robbie Diamond, founder and president and CEO of SAFE, Securing America's Future Energy. Thanks for being with us again, Robbie. Thank you for having me again. Hey, Robbie, great to have you this morning. I don't always get invited back. Oh, come on, Robbie, you always get invited back. (laughs) For those in our audience who who may not be familiar with SAFE, uh, let's start off, Robbie, with an overview of the organization. Yeah, I'm very briefly, we started in 2004 and our mission was clear to end oil use in transportation or reduce it for economic and national security reasons, just to take people so far back. You know, we were in two wars, a global war on terror, um, every major recession been preceded by an oil price spike, the volatility of oil was uh, detrimental to our economy and tons of blood and treasure had thus been spilt. And the idea was, is how do you change the debate? And we brought four-star admirals and generals and CEOs to the table to uh, talk about this uh, issue and actually um, provide uh, impetus for policy change. And thus, we became big, big uh, proponents of electrification and fuel diversity. So we weren't dependent on this one fuel source. And over the years, working on electrification, we really started looking at new transportation technologies and how they'd play to that agenda and came across autonomy as really one of the greatest ways to expedite electrification. In some ways, I actually still do believe that autonomy will be part of uh, driving electric vehicles, not um, only on their own, although that's all we talk about. And then about two years ago, we pivoted, um, thinking about the importance of the auto sector to the industrial base of the United States, which is our economic and national security. So it's not quite a pivot and how we would go from dependence on oil to dependence on China for all these new technologies and transportation and thus put out a report that looked at how China's leading role in EVs, electric vehicles, AVs, autonomous vehicles, connectivity, 5G and semiconductors was a risk to the United States and our Western allies and thus started implementing um, or recommending policies, what we call from minerals all the way to markets. And then of course, these other technologies that are part of it, such as autonomy and uh, 5G. You didn't even mention hackers and pipelines yet. (laughs) Well, I mean, the truth is, is that the hackers and the pipelines continue to show that that your dependence on a fuel source and for energy is just so critical. I mean, Now, when we move to electric vehicles, let's be clear, we have other risks, right? Our grid, look what happened in Houston or happens in California. So by no means do I claim that solving the oil issue will, um, you know, put us in a good, it doesn't mean you can't have to, you you don't have to be just as vigilant, but at least in electrification, we'll be using domestic fuels, a diverse set of fuels that are stable in price and currently readily available in the United States. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, on the uh, on the pipeline issue, you know, energy has to be moved, uh, whether energy be in the form of, of uh, oil or in the f- form of electrons. 
And certainly the grid is a big piece of the uh, electrical um, uh, system that uh, basically, you know, needs to be doubled if we're really going to do this. I mean, we have to double what we do in electricity because essentially, uh, you know, petroleum uh, for moving transportation in terms of energy is about equivalent to what we consume now in electricity in all the sectors that we use electricity. So, you know, it's a major, it's a major opportunity. It's a major opportunity for jobs. It's a major opportunity for innovation. It's a major opportunity. You look at the jobs that, and, and, and things that were created by the auto industry because it replaced the, the horse and buggy. Uh, you know, this thing is going, is, is, is going to require that kind of, of improvement and improvement in quality of life. So yeah, absolutely. And as you point out, you know, it would be nice if it was done here, right? I mean, uh, Jesus, you know, one of the articles in this uh, week's um, uh, e-letter of smart driving cars talks about auto X, you know, doing, you know, doing driverless vehicle mobility in, in, in China. You know, what's the source of driver X, you know, it's, it's a guy that was educated here, was a professor at Princeton and now is, you know, is in China doing it. Damn it. Uh, why isn't he here? I mean, you did say it would be nice. I think it's actually more than nice. It's uh, yeah, well, I, you know, to our lives. So. Well, uh, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to be nice by saying nice. Absolutely essential. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, hey, I actually try to be nice every once in a while. People don't realize that. I know. <laughs> Robbie, this week uh, you put together uh, a really terrific panel live on YouTube titled "Autonomous Vehicles." a framework for deployment and safety. Tell us about the participants you were able to, to bring together here. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me talk about it. You know, we put out this report um, that was uh, written by um, the former general counsel of NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, although I hope your viewers already know what NHTSA is. Um, and his name is Kevin Vincent, and he really wanted to uh, talk about what needed to happen to finally get to some regulatory framework so we can move forward. Um, because the federal government's important, so we don't have a vacuum and a patchwork of, of, state, um, of state issues, and also provide the confidence to the companies as well as the public that, uh, that we're on top of it. So he put out a paper you can find um, on our website, www.secureenergy.org. But before he spoke, we had um, acting um, administrator of NHTSA, uh, Steve Cliff, Dr. Steve Cliff, who spoke about uh, the vision of the administration, you know, across energy and autonomy. And then we had a panel with um, various companies that represented uh, trucks and cars and OEMs and tier ones and partnerships between tier ones and OEMs. So we had uh, Emotional and Intel, uh, Ford, Aurora, and the last one was, I don't know, but, but you, get, you get the point. Right, and Intel being mobile, uh, it's a... Uh which you purchased some time back. There was quite oh, a bit of- And Debbie Hurstman, who was yeah, you know, chair, chairwoman of the NTSB and you know, of the National Safety Council. 
and had spent some time at Waymo, which two I thought years was really in Waymo, which which was which is clear. I mean, you, you look at her experience and and the sectors that she's been in. You know, she's uh, uh, she knows what's going on. <laughs> now, I thought her. I thought you know. I asked her a question, and I thought you know to me it was really interesting because here she'd been in uh, you know basically public service about safety all her life, and suddenly had gone to a private company. And you know what what was it like on the other side. And you know what, what she really said was, you know, these people do care about it. It's not like you think they're sitting around going like, mm, how do we like kill citizens? In fact, she was the one who, who came out very strongly against Tesla and how, you know, they were, you know, both driving an agenda, but really, you know, putting everyone at risk, not only the public, yeah. but the entire agenda. So I, I think it's really interesting to watch someone who, you know, might be skeptical of business from looking at the government perspective, but once inside around that table was just saying, you know, how how seriously they take it and, and, and how, um, and that was, that was, uh, you know, I, I guess quite motivating for her when she was there. Yeah. I mean, she made it clear that, that the people that are in this business are not irresponsible about safety, except for maybe Elon. Okay. And, and, and he may be the, the he's the one out there that is uh, sort of the loose cannon on, on the, on the deck. She didn't characterize it that way, you know, and, and, and the way I've been pointing it out and, and others have been pointing it out, you know, the Elaine Herzberg crash in Arizona cost uber 60 billion is what i claim and you know i you know i didn't do in-depth four-year study it's obvious uh, goldmine Sachs had them at 120 and they went out at 60 okay there's a differential of 60 there and the only major thing that happened between between uh, the de- declaration and the and the action was elaine herzberg and so, you know, somebody has to look at that. And when they do the partial derivative of the, you know, whatever sensitivity analysis of what happened to the, the valuation of that company, somebody has to say, oh, my goodness. And, and if anybody looks at, at, at doing this business and being in this business and having a, an Elaine Herzberg type of situation, they've got to realize they're going to lose half the ranch, if not the whole ranch. And so they have to be, they, they, I mean, there's no way the federal government or anybody can impose a penalty on anybody for lack of safety that comes close to what happened to Uber in that. I mean, that, to me, that is such a, it's an enormous message. Essentially, everybody has heard it. And maybe Elon is finally hearing it. I mean, all this stuff that's happening of goofy people jumping in back seats and hitting trees and stuff like that and burning up because of the irresponsible use and presentation of the technology. You know, you know there must be a wake up call he, on Saturday Night Live. He must, you know, he must have finally seen it. So anyway, whatever. Let, let's talk about some of the other highlights that, that come to mind, Robbie, from the from the discussion. We're going to link to the full thing so that people who want to watch her are able to do that. But- Absolutely. And it'll be an e-letter also. So you'll, you'll get barraged by that one. You can also go to our YouTube channel. Yeah, and- right. Right. So tell us what you, your thoughts are about some of the other highlights here of what took place. You know, I thought that they were all the companies were very clear that they really do want the federal government to say something. And, you know, although they didn't say exactly what the standard was, you know, how they really do agree, actually, you know, actually stepping back, you know, I had not really reflected on this, but, you know, one of the things that 
um, that Kevin Vincent wrote in the paper was how there is a de facto standard, which is the industry is all working together in these various uh, organizations to come up with standards. And that uh, one of the recommendations he has is in some ways the government should just adopt those standards. They are the industry self-regulating themselves, but in a very positive way. And, um, and I think that's what a lot of people did say, right? That there is a lot of positive work going on. They were not as, um, I'd say, pessimistic as I tend to be because I, I, I come from a political space rather than a technical space. And so he was saying, well, this work's going on. They basically are signing up to it. NHTSA should adopt those. And if you listen to the people, they were sort of saying the same thing, right? Just tell us what it is. Here we are working on these things. We're coming out with you know, very, you know, um, you know, very good common uh, themes um, in these various organizations. And uh, we don't want to be told prescriptively what to do, which I think is really important from an innovation perspective. But we do want to be told, you know, pretty much what the, you know, what our targets are um, in order uh, to meet. And I thought that that was, uh, that was, that was good. Um, you know, I do think that Debbie once again brought up something, which is, you know, there are sort of like fiefdoms of which organization you're working in, and there's clusters of companies in one and clusters of companies in others. You know, um, these are organizations like um, IEEE, um, SAE. You know, it's like the alphabet soup of uh, of these uh, of these of these companies. And I thought that, you know, where she said that, you know, there are these some are in both, but some are not, and so. To me, it's like the role of NHTSA in some ways is to be the regulator, show up at the table in each one of those, grab the best of what they hear from each of them, and then come out and say, this is what you need to do, non-prescriptively, not to stifle the innovation, but to really provide a much firmer roadmap. They're begging for that, and uh, we need to be providing that to them. Or as they all said, they're going to move overseas. Other countries are doing this, China in particular. Um, but Germany and others uh, they mentioned. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about the staying ahead uh, for the United States to stay ahead. And obviously, you're talking about ahead of China. Um, yeah, I think that the discussion there is, you know, we invent great things in the United States, but will we deploy great things? And I think the concern was uh, may, may, maybe we maybe we won't. You know, I don't know if I'm as um, uh, pessimistic on that side. I mean, I tend to believe, and we got back to Elon Musk, and it's not just Elon Musk, but when you look at Uber and, you know, various things, I mean, we do have a penchant for filling a vacuum. And as long as things aren't banned in the United States, there will be people, if there is a way to both make money and provide, you know, as, as you both, you know, want, provide actually good services to people and provide mobility to people, it, it will happen here. It just will not be, you know, not only not a straight line, but it will take the incumbents won't do it. I mean, I'd heard, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but you know, BMW basically have an Uber-like service that they wanted to do and their general counsel said, no, you can't do that because it's not allowed. And Uber just went and did it and then created all this problem with all these you know, local governments, but they didn't care. They figured that out after the fact. And I think that once again, it will, it will, it will lead to you know, our, our OEMs, which I think are quite important. I don't know if all will survive this transition, but they are the industrial base um, to once again be behind the uh, eight ball, which I don't think is necessarily a good thing. One, one interesting thing that maybe you can comment on is the movement of, of people, these top level people between 
private industries and government roles. So tell me what your thoughts are. Is that that's a good thing, I suppose, in some if there's some back and forth there, different perspectives. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, that's the classic revolving door of Washington and of America. And I'm originally from Canada. It's much less there, and I'm sure it's less anywhere in the world. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing. I mean, I was watching uh, the the greatest crime of the century last night on HBO about the opioid epidemic and watching these, you know, FDA officials going in and out, you know, made me sick to my stomach. So I, I... I I want to say to you that every situation is a particular situation, but yes, I do think like, again, I I go back to what Debbie said, it is really important for them to see what it's like, I guess, on the industry side, um, as well as for, um, you know, government, and, you know, they they, they take those learnings. I get, you know, I guess I would distinguish the two things. It's one thing working inside a company, like you're in Waymo, you're in Cruise, and then go back to government versus... um, you're a lobbyist, maybe that you don't have so much at, at stake. So I would say it is a good thing, um, broadly, but uh, you know it is it got it's got its challenges in some cases. Yeah, well, you know, along those those lines, um, you know, the, I think there there's there's a real opportunity. I guess you know the way I'm I'm coming down on all this. Um, um, you know, there, the, the government. Uh, is responsible to make sure making sure we're safe. Okay, I mean, you know, you look at going through the whole epidemic and so on. They're trying to keep us safe and figuring out a way to keep us safe. So, you know, we sort of look to the government, I think, in part to keep us safe, and that's that's an important thing. Um, uh, you know, and and sort of the thing that's happened with the automobile the business is kind of good thing is is sort of, I guess, the public sector or something figured out what, what is really um, um, uh, the utility here, you know, the industry that will, you know, that is a monopoly that can provide, uh, you know, a whole lot. And they figured that, you know, roads is is that utility. It's a monopoly. Anybody can go then and use it. And so, you know, we got our government to go build roads for us. Uh, and, uh, and of course, I guess Henry Ford was kind of key on that because he, he had to have his farm to mark of roads and roads so that the cars that he built had something to run on. And I, I guess he, not to simplify the whole thing, but he figured that, my goodness, I can't go out and do that, but I can build the little individual things that I can go out and sell that then can, you know, it needs a place to use them. And so let the public sector build roads and, and everybody can use it, not only Ford, the GM, and so on and so forth. And, and so that's kind of the, that's in some sense a part of how we got to where we are that, that you know, we have an, various industries buying us, you know, gizmos that we go out and, and buy and that are our responsibility and we drive them and we hit, hit them and we do all kinds of things and you know, things with them. And, and, you know, they've taken their money, they banked it and they, you know, they, they pay their stockholders and it's, it's a great business. <clears throat> The, the problem that we're in, I think, or at least one of the problems that we're in is that, you know, some folks can't go out and get this or the car. And you're putting this because I don't have a car in front of me. And, and so the question is, is, you know, how do you provide that? How do you provide the mobility piece uh, as a utility or as, a, as an entity out there and so on? And, you know, I guess that's where the 
the whole transit stuff came in and those guys needed bailing out and the government stepped in. But the problem is, is when you look at that mobility, it's, it's, it's 1% of the market. It's, 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 it's 1% of the person trips in the United States. It's, it's, it's a niche of a niche. (laughs) And so, you know, uh, and so the government's picked up and is doing that. But but how do we do more of that? And I guess you know that's sort of how. Well, you to, you did talk about Robbie the, the need to get the public involved and and uh, improve public understanding, which ties in exactly to what Alan is saying here. The the need to sell this idea of of mobility for all. So. Uh- you know, I have a couple couple thoughts. Uh, having done this now for for a while, and like I say, I, I am in the political realm. Yeah. Um. You know, the first one is, you know, you you, you know, I don't want to be considered this sort of Pollyannish uh, technophile. This will solve all the world's problems. But when you you're saying that's what I want to be? <laughs> no, no, never. No one, mis- no one would mistake you for that. <laughs> Go ahead. But, you know, you know, you really do look at the things these solve or, or, or what it does, you know, and, and we laid that out yesterday. You know, there is a climate change perspective. Now, there's a negative and a positive, but, you know, we just see the positive in this sort of security. There's the productivity gains and economic growth. There's the competition, as I said, with China. There's the equity piece and providing real mobility to, you know, people who do not have it today from the disadvantaged to the, to the um, elderly to the disabled. Now, why is that? That's because our entire societies of over 100 years have been built up over an internal combustion, privately owned vehicle. Yep. And with this leg little transit that no, that most people don't particularly like in its current in its current form. And so it will change all those things and will change for the positive or the negative. And like I, I'll say, you know, there's always a downside in some things, but, you know, creative destruction, there's just tremendous upside. And I don't think people realize that like. They get into this sort of safety argument. That's all anyone's talked about. And it's, it clearly doesn't move hearts and minds because everyone thinks they're the safest driver in the world. And uh, most people, you know, don't care that much. I mean, we have been through a pandemic. And yes, there are people who have been quite safe. But there are a lot of people in America who don't don't look at risk in the, in the same way. So that's one thing I think is really important. The profound impact will have on our entire lives. But that's because the car has been the most central feature of our entire lives, how we built our cities, how we built our homes, how we go to work, everything. And then two, two, two is, um, you know, when you're talking about transit, we started something at SAFE. It's our newest project called the Commission on the Future Mobility. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about that. But it's, the C- it's, it's chaired by uh, the CEO of Ford. Um, Jim Farley and Mary Nichols, who comes from CARB, and uh, Tari Malay from Transdev, which is actually the largest people mover in the world. They're a French company. And finally, Dr. Jared Cohan um, from uh, CMU. And what came out in our first discussion, and, and, and this was not how we started, was how do you put people first? How do you make sure um, that it's not about the vehicle? Right? Yeah. How do you put the goods in the hands of the people and get them from A to B in the fastest, cleanest, most efficient way that puts them first? And instead of saying like, oh, well, we need transit and this is the way transit's always been, maybe transit can be different and we can, you know, and that's, and that's what we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. So I think this people first argument is something we have never looked at transportation. 
um, about. It's always about the vehicle and the regulation of the vehicle or funding some segment like, uh, you know, buses or subways. And, and so those two things to me are, um, you know, quite important and revolution could be revolutionary if we uh, talked about them differently. These. But if you look, if you look at the car, it did put people first. I mean, that's really what it did. My car is sitting out there. My car is out there. We have, we have four cars, two drivers. Never mind. Whatever. It's it's stupid. But what? Don't want to even. Yeah, they're old. But whatever. The car is sitting out there like a little puppy dog, waiting to serve me. Just waiting for me. When do I want to go? Where do I want to go? And as long as I drive it, it will take me there, give or take, right? So it really is looking at me. Whereas if I do transit and it just drives me nuts, transit says, oh, no, some poo boss someplace said, you know, here you can pick it up, here you can pick it up, here you can pick it up. And then have a PhD from Princeton in how to read a schedule, and maybe you can take, maybe you can, you can use my service. That is, that is just, that is so fundamentally different. These two things. No wonder one only has one percent of the market. Okay, but when I say put people first, uh, you know, as someone who's so passionate about putting these autonomous vehicles into you know, providing mobility to the disadvantaged and in Trenton and then everywhere. Mm-hmm. But that's what I mean. It puts you first because your, uh, you know, your economic, uh, your ability to own it, to sit there 98% of its time waiting for you to show up as opposed to what is best for getting someone as fast as possible, as cleanly as possible, as safely as possible from A to B. It's not that bus that you talked about. Right. And it's all, and it's really not that car for most people. It's too expensive. It's, it's not a, it's it's you know it it. not not if it's utilized not if the productivity is not just sit there and it's at there you know 15 months didn't move but that's the pandemic but whatever uh you know but if it's there and i can i can do it without paying the driver okay because because unfortunately labor is expensive i give i i give my labor for free to do to get me someplace Okay, and so somebody who 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 somebody else who doesn't have the opportunity to do that for whatever reason, but if the vehicle was there, probably that vehicle could be used by many people, could even be shared, could own whatever, and in fact, give me essentially the same capability of when I want to go to where I want to go looking at the individual first does that people first no you don't buy the argument robbie <laughs> oh, no, i mean look it's truth that everything all i have to yeah. say is what does it say about you that you've turned your dog most people have uh, sexualized uh, their cars the industry and you've turned into a puppy dog <laughs> Robbie, let me ask you. I always let me ask wanted this, a D-type, you know. I, n- never mind. Robbie, yeah. one one of the things you have this this that was panel. Madman, man, man did that to me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You're terrible, Robbie. <laughs> this panel that you have, Robbie, of these these high level people uh, discussing this. What about the issue of bringing in the people who need the transportation? the most need this mobility into the decision-making process early on and, and 
helping to gain public acceptance and understanding through that. that that's not a, such an easy thing to do always. You know, I, I th if, if, once again, if you look at sort of the public and political arguments, most of them are centered around um, safety or have been safe, uh, have been centered around safety. And, uh, and I just think we've, we've, we've played that out and it doesn't move the political needle to take anything happen. But I do think we are living in a moment where um, equity uh, really matters to people and the equity of these vehicles uh, really matters. And in some ways, I do think many of these groups have stepped up you know, the National Foundation for the Blind, and, and, and there are groups like that. And it's really important that we do that more. And I think that's the profound argument that industry and, and others need to make, which is, why is it fair for you to hold me back because you have some version of a bus that should happen? Why should you hold me back because um, you, you know, you're, you're living in the political dynamics, the silo you live in, whether it be this sort of safety silo or this environmental silo or this urban planning silo. And here is a solution that can solve a lot of problems. Let's think bigger, let's think differently. And I think one of the, and, if I, and so to me, like those people should be showing up and going to politicians in their faces, um, you know, when the cameras are rolling and saying, what, why, are you holding, why, why are you holding me back? And I think they should be doing that too. You know, environmental groups, uh, so-called safety groups, uh, you know, right-wing politician, whatever it is. I think those are the people who can humanize this in a big way. So that to me is, is quite, quite important and, and hopefully it can change. Now, I think one of the things that are missing to me is that people in their mental model assume these are autonomous vehicles that look like the vehicles we have today. And now under current regulatory statute, that's true, right? Why is it that they just put a big, you know, um, you know, a big uh, sensor on top of a currently built car because the sensor is not really regulated. The car is totally regulated for, for decades now. But if you really get to this autonomous world and you can then build from the ground up, one can start thinking about much smaller vehicles, these light lithium micro mobility type vehicles, like single pods, double pods, you know, for two people, you know, hold these things because they, they aren't going to crash to each other. You can take out all this, all, you know, uh, light weighting and everything else. So there's sort of a dystopian view and we will go to the dystopian area unless we at the same time, I think at the same time, and we're at this moment, now to open up our FMVSS, our Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard, to allow for these new types of form factors. It's the form factor that is the issue. And if we can show people that the form factor can be light or different, and you know, Neuro, let's take a company, for example, that is, you know, yeah, they have a cute commercial on TV delivering Domino's pizzas. But you really see that you know, and maybe even that's a little too big, but delivering, you know, food that we've all gotten delivered during this pandemic in a thousands of pound vehicle is like lifting a payload from, you know, uh, Japan to the United States on a 777, a $75 package, you know, a 75 pound package, sorry. So like, once again, stop thinking about big cars going everywhere all the time, but thinking about if we allowed it, actually a prof much more profound a change in materials and size and everything else. And that, that I think is where we need to go, but it's, it's a very hard, hard thing to get to.
That, that is that is such an important comment because again we are at the very beginning of this. I mean, we've we haven't really even started. I mean, you know, we got a couple of driverless vehicles running around in Chandler, Arizona, which you know, as far as Chandler, what you know, they probably don't care. What what's their? Uh, I have here the the zero vehicle. Per, uh, ownership rate by households in Chandler, Arizona is 2.9% of the households in Chandler, Arizona don't own vehicles. I mean, to live in Chandler, Arizona, you already have a ta- probably have to have four cars like I have here. I mean, you probably can't live there. So here Waymo is trying to provide some mobility to people who really can't probably is most benefit to people who don't have cars or can't get cars. There's nobody there that doesn't have a car. So no wonder, no wonder they don't have, they may not, may not have very many customers. Uh, and, you know, just to throw out my, in Trenton, 30% of the households don't have cars. So if you have mobility and, hey, I have mobility and I want to sell it, who, who are you going to try to try to sell it to somebody who already has a car? Oh, my goodness. It has to be better than that car before they'll even talk to you. No wonder nobody in, in Chandler talks to you. In Trenton, nobody has 30% of the people, the households don't have cars. Holy hell. They have to walk. I, or never mind. I won't say anything <laughs> bad about New Jersey Transit. Okay. Um, anyway. Oh, so you know that's kind of that's kind of an, an important thing with respect to this is you know who you're trying to serve. But we're at the very beginning. We, we can maybe talk to these thirty percent of the households that don't have cars, and uh, you, you know you don't have a car because everything's within walking distance. Don't believe it. Everything's on the New Jersey Transit bus line. Don't believe it. Uh, my goodness, um, you can't get to the to the to the uh, Robbinsville uh, Amazon uh, uh, distribution center that have at least fifteen dollar an hour jobs. Uh, oh, you can't. What if we provided some mobility for you to do that? Nobody's. I don't think anybody's talking to these folks. These are hard folks. I, I found. I can't talk to these folks. They won't talk to me for obvious reasons. Look at me. I mean, I mean, holy hell. I mean, stand out like a sore thumb. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible. But, but somebody, somebody, somebody should be talking to these people and asking that 30% of the households in Trenton that don't, don't have a car. Are, are they all, I mean, would it, if you had the mobility that was like a car, which is I think what we can deliver them with the driverless, what does that do for you? What would you like that to be? What's your vision of it? Not what my vision of it is. What the hell? I mean, you know, I got talk to me here, Robbie. Is that is that a worthwhile way to go or not? <laughs> I mean, we put out a paper that showed that. Uh, so, so once again, it's not ragging on transit. This is transit. <laughs> no, I'm not ragging on it. One percent. Saying I don't want people to think we're ragging on transit because we don't believe in in public transit. This is actually public transit, just this in a is... different way. These are, you know, single occupancy, electric, a point to point, much better, you know, much better services, as you know, and you're making that argument. And so to me, like where we have an administration talking about equity all the time, right? Equity, it's about environmental justice. I, I just don't understand how 
if you could get there, once again, this is not tomorrow, but you want to do everything in your power to get there as soon as possible, the answer is an electric, right, autonomous right. <laughs> pod that can yeah. be go from A to B when someone wants safely and more cleanly because it's electric. And right. if the price of that is less than 50 cents a mile, which we know versus you know, over a dollar fifty, and definitely, I would say, probably more when insurance and maintenance and everything else. Well, that is exactly what we want. And how do we get there? Well, the only way to get there is to provide a regulatory framework. Yes, probably provide some uh, either incentives or you know regulations to both provide services to the up, you know, to the uh, to all classes of society. And then also to allow the FMVSS where they can design these vehicles that do this very thing. And let's slap an M to the side for Metro uh, of these little pods. And, that, and that's it. And I think like, I don't, I don't quite understand why the dystopian view is, is, is allowed to get in the way of providing equity of, of transportation, which is, by the way, the only thing associated with upward, like 100% associated with upward economic growth is is mobility is actual mobility so this is what's so important this is what's so frustrating to me why hasn't the federal transit administration grabbed this you know what else trenton has besides 30 percent of their of their uh households not owning a car they have the trenton train station on the northeast corridor that has Excella service, that has, that has, I don't know, they still call it Metroliner service, that has New Jersey transit, that will get you to New York in just a hair over an hour. Absolutely fantastic, classic transit, okay? The pr- problem is, is, is that really where the 30% of the people without cars want to go? I bet not. But I don't know, but I bet not. And therefore, how, you know, okay, le- absolutely keep New Jersey Transit Rail, keep the train there, keep all that stuff. It's fantastic for what it does, okay? But there are some things that it doesn't do. And these things could do that. And they could, and it turns out that maybe that holy mackerel, that's even providing more of a f- value to society. Adding to the value uh, to society of all this other the, this one percent of the stuff that they do serve. There's the invitation sorry. to there's the invitation to Trenton once again, and it's a standing. I, I mean, I, the people are tired of hearing me about. Well, I, I mean, well, look, there are a lot of Trentons. If there was just one Trenton, right. I wouldn't be talking about Scranton. Scranton, sixteen point three percent of the of the. Uh, of the uh, households don't have cars in Scranton. That's the president's hometown. Okay, what do those 16% do? Okay, come on, pay attention. We will be back with more, but first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, it's a good idea to read the white paper there. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions. You may know that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. 
We are back with more of the Smart Driving Cars podcast with our guest, Robbie Diamond from Securing America's Future Energy. Let's turn to this week's Smart Driving Cars newsletter, Alan. Uh, we can go through some headlines. And Robbie, we want you to participate here as well. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit already. You comment on a video posted by AutoX marking the company's first 100 days of a fully driverless robo-taxi operation in Shenzhen. So you had some yeah, comments about they, that They video. have a nice video on there that they play. It's two hours that they play at, at a high speed. So then you feel like it's the vehicle is, oh my goodness, they really can go that fast in this thing, which, you know, whatever, I don't know what the implicit, you know, implications of that are. And, and they're going through a Chinese city. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I say that uh, maybe they, they did this two hour thing at, at 6 a.m. on some Sunday morning, but never mind. I guess you can, you know, kind of get the implication on that and um sure i mean you know we can people can do driverless they've been we've been doing driverless waymo's put in um, how many billion miles or something like that driverless the issue is is you know um uh how many how many disengagements did they have in that period and if they're if they don't say i mean if they had zero disengagements you know, they would be out there and we had zero disengagements. They would be telling us that thing. I mean, till, I mean, it would be do, 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 do. So, uh, I mean, that would have been good marketing for them, I would think. And I'm sure they're good marketers. And the, the fact that they don't say that, I'm not saying that they did have disengagements. Don't get me wrong, Robbie. I, I didn't say that. I'm just every I'll once in a while. You're the, uh, if don't call me skeptical I'm coming out of China, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, and 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 uh, no, and I don't, and, and I, I, you know, that I, I, I wish them the, the best, and and I, I want this stuff to work because, you know, I would prefer to have it developed here, but if it happens to be in Europe or it happens to be in China or it happens to be in India or it happens to be in Africa, you know, so what? You know, I, I mean, I want, I want, I want the people of Trenton, of of of, of Scranton, and of of uh, Chandler to benefit from this. I want to benefit from this. I don't want to drive my cars. Brad, you know? am I allowed to ask follow-up questions? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Oh, Fred's the boss. I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead, please, Robbie. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're 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 open. We're we 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 have no rule book here. There is no rule book. I mean, it does seem increasingly clear to me. I think that there will be two operating systems. There'll be one that's uh, China and maybe its sphere of influence, and one of the Western world. It's hard to believe that the United States at this point, or I don't know about our allies, but I think so. If you look what's gone on with Huawei and data and everything yeah. else that. There's the, I just don't even see how that's even possible. So in some ways, I do say there's a race. Maybe there's a race that their their economies will be more productive um, due to you know the the lowering of costs of the movement of goods and everything. But I doubt that they invented and then suddenly you know we use their system here or we invented and they're willing to just use our our system there. It just seems to me like at this point uh, there's going to be two systems um, operating. And 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 to me, Robbie, that, that in my politics, that's fine. They have 1.4 billion people that they're trying to make happy, and 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 I like to say I first went there in November 1978, and my goodness, I I, I applaud them for everything that they've done since 1978. Okay, uh, because. 
boy, you know, absolutely kudos, you know, can't say enough, okay? Um, and, and so they have the work cut out for themselves. We have the work cut out for ourselves. If we can help them, great. If they can help us, great. Okay, I, I, but if if you know whatever, but I don't think I don't I don't think we're going to develop something and say to China you can't have it, or I hope China doesn't develop something and says to us we can't have it. Well, look, we we uh, will. Yeah. That's my point was is we uh, will. Okay. Look at Huawei. Look at other things. But let, let's move yeah. on from the. Yeah. Okay. Alan, another headline: that Union Pacific says autonomous trains are the answer to driverless trucks. Look oh my goodness! I mean, to have the railroad industry uh, and 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 finally come out and say that. I mean, I I just I couldn't believe it. It look, look, forty five years ago, almost to the day, on April first, seventeen, uh, 19, 17, <laughs> 1976. I was almost said seventeen seventy six. we bought out three of the five jobs on railroads and saved the railroad industry okay because it was hopelessly bankrupt at five people per hundred miles of train service and brought it down to two okay why has that industry not said, let's buy out the last two. Let's just, you know, buy it out. Let's get the zero. Then instead of having that run 200 car coal trains, which how much longer are they going to be able to do that and make your money? Can we then run, you know, three car trailer on flat car? It's so much easier. You, you, you don't have bicyclists on the railroad tracks. You tend to not have joggers. You tend to not have kids chasing balls. You tend to not, holy mackerel. And now instead of providing, tra- I mean, you think transit service is bad. What is freight train service when you have to wait to put together a 200 car train before you can afford to move it or something. Come on industry. And oh, yo, I got big locomotives, make small locomotives. Oh my goodness. Hey, and make them electric too. And you don't need the catenary because we don't have batteries that might be well done. Holy mackerel, Jesus. I mean, where are you? So finally, I mean, finally, Union Pacific, to compete against driverless, we aren't going to have driverless trucks on our highways anytime soon, okay? It's just not going to happen, okay? One, the driver isn't really all that expensive with all that valuable stuff behind you that's being moved, one. Two is, is my goodness, if there's a driverless car next to me on the New Jersey Turnpike, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to call my congressman. Well, Alan, too simple uh, is saying it has nearly 7,000 driverless truck orders partnering with Navistar, and they plan to begin making them in 2024. At least they're gonna. The okay, I, I, I hear all about the gunners. I love the gunners. Uh, I, I, I want to hear about the didas, not the gunners. 
Okay, sure. Yeah, great. You know, get another run of financing or, you know, whatever. Quarterly report, never mind. Yikes. Poor Robbie's going to say, I'm not associated with this guy. <laughs> you just so many things I don't even want to engage. Oh, Jesus. Jump I'm, in, just, Robbie. I'm too cynical, I guess. Whatever. I don't know. Sorry, people. Go well, ahead, Fred. You, you already mentioned uh, the, the story about the man arrested for riding in the backseat of his Tesla. Uh, this was in San Francisco. He gets out of jail, buys another Tesla, and does it all over again and says he'll keep on doing it. Yeah, well, I, I, I put mean, the blame just, on Tesla, okay? The blame on Tesla. It. Tesla should have control over its technology. It has it has um, over-the-air uh, monitoring and testing. And, and if you don't behave in using my technology, then you can't use it, period, okay? And why do they turn it on when this guy gets behind the wheel? Why do they, they let him have it? I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I, look, this is serious business here. And they have the capability to make sure that, that, that their customers use their technology responsibly. And if you think you buy this and you get to just cut the wires and do whatever the hell you want and so on and so forth, if, if the public isn't going to put that person in jail and, and, and keep us free from that, from, you know, that misbehavior, then Tesla has to do it. I don't know. Robbie, what do you think? <laughs> no, I totally, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. it's just crazy that you, you know, they, they have ways to uh, make that work and uh, to keep us safe. I mean, in some ways it's worse than the gun industry. Well, why is that any different than the gun? Yeah. Industry? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the gun industry got Congress to pass legislation that doesn't permit us to do all this stuff. We don't have the regulations that don't permit Tesla to, to not do this stuff. OK. And in fact, I guess what I what I've said about all of this technology, if you misuse it. OK, if you don't pay attention when you turn turn the thing on, then it just pulls over turns off and says until you have a note from your mother you can't use it again <laughs> okay i mean come on you know cut it out you go hop in the back seat you know you do that and if you do hop in the back seat it should not hit a tree because it has an automated emergency braking system this thing that you so well talked about in your session that actually works how in the hell did that tesla hit a tree and burn up it shouldn't have hit the tree. I don't care if the guy was in the back seat. Sorry. Another anyway, story. Uh, another right. story, Alan. We uh, we sort of have to wrap it up, Fred. Anyway, no. yeah. Okay. Mothers Against Drunk Driving this week released an updated analysis of vehicle technologies that could be installed in vehicles to prevent drunk driving and save thousands of lives. Something along the lines of what we're just talking about with this irresponsible. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've had uh, these a, a worthwhile read here. Yeah, it's a worthwhile read. And it's just frustrating with the whole regulatory system and so on. That In fact, you know, we don't have these things. We shouldn't be speeding. OK, and then, you know, you put, try to put things in there to give you an automatic ticket and people go nuts and so on. We, we need to get serious about these constraints. You shouldn't be driving impaired. You shouldn't be speeding. You shouldn't be going through through stop signs and red lights when there's somebody else coming the other way. These are you shouldn't cross a double line if there's somebody coming the other way. If there's nobody coming the other way. Who cares? If there's somebody 
we're smart enough to know those, these things and we should decide, hey, you know, it's not, it's not really the, you know, the, the mad men. You, you can use these cars anywhere you want, anything you want to do, whatever, do your donuts on your neighbor's lawn and have a ball. No, this is, this is serious about getting you from A to B when you want to go. And damn it, you know, you can't, you can't just misbehave all the, all the time. We are very good drivers when we don't misbehave. When we misbehave, not so much. And that's where the 40,000 come from. The, the, the 90% of crashes are not human error. Bull, it's human misbehavior. You're out of line. Damn it, let's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, Alan. Whatever. Finally, <laughs> this is always you, fun. <laughs> Robbie, did you want to jump in on that one? I'm good. Okay, yeah. Robbie's well, good. Can I really add to that? I drive. Come on. Well, finally, Alan, you had similar comments in the newsletter on both of these stories. GM's cruise says it will begin production of its driverless Origin shuttle in early 2023, while Volkswagen says it plans to bring its self-driving electric microbus to market, developed with Argo AI, by 2025. Yeah, you know, and I think, again, it just points out we're at the very beginning. We have it, the opportunity to change the form factor if, if, if the regulators let us and, and to make, make this so that it is really, you know, something that delivers value to people. I mean, right, Robbie, we're talking to, we're only doing this to deliver value to people, aren't we? I mean, improve quality of life. That's, that's the only reason we're here, right? Right. I mean, really, the form factor question, I, I keep coming back to it. And, uh, you know, I, I think it is quite important. I do think a lot of the people yesterday on that panel we started with talked about how we're at a moment of making decisions about some of these, you know, um, you know, some of these retoolings of factories and, you know, real, real decisions of, to scale up. And, you know, we did an analysis that showed that if you allowed some of these form factors um, to change, uh, just by allowing, you know, 80,000 cars per manufacturer, we could have 40,000 new jobs and $2.5 billion invested to retool the factories that exist for these new types of uh, vehicles. So I, I think it is a very uh, cost effective way too for the government to stimulate, you know, jobs in, uh, in building these factories of the, of the vehicles of the future, but they need to make those decisions now, you know, you don't just make a decision like that in, in three seconds, you know, I think Cruz is standing there going like, do we do, can we do this or not? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's really important because it gets the ball rolling and, and, and with at least some opportunity, I mean, we're, we're selling what 16 million vehicles in the United States every year, give or take, or whatever that number is. This is a very small percentage of the new vehicles and allows them to get out there to, you know, see if they work and so on. And then maybe, you know, expand it to, to, to a million, you know, or, or, you know, the whole thing. Why not? It's 16 million. If you can get one these days. Yeah, I mean, if if you can get a chip to put in one, so that so that you know the the keyless ignition works. <laughs> Robbie, we we really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us here. Great great content, great session this week, and uh, we want to steer people to to your website as well uh, for more info. Secureenergy.org. Thank you so much. It's always a it's always a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey.
it's serious fun, though. I mean, I, I think it, it's serious. And for our viewers, you can see a link to the YouTube video session that Robbie had this week. Uh, you can see the link on our screen, or you can search on YouTube for Securing America's Future Energy. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF, once again, is MOTO. More info is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us once again at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker. I can go through the list wherever you get your podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching and please continue to stay safe. Thank you, Robbie. Stay safe, everyone.